I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I want to ask, how was your Holy Week? How was your Easter? It was very blessed. Thank you so very much, Mike and Mary. I hope yours uh, were as well. Uh, yes. So many blessings to uh, uh, celebrate, especially during the sacred liturgies. Uh, for me, the Chrism Mass is one of the high points of my year. Mm. And of course, uh, at the Paschal Vigil, I was able to uh, baptize uh, four uh, catechumens, now neophytes, newborns. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there were, in addition, five uh, people that uh, were confirmed along with the, the newly baptized. Archbishop, I know you, um, you said you had nine people enter the church at your Easter Vigil at the cathedral. I know I heard a stat that uh, basically about 800 or so people enter the Catholic Church at all of the parishes of the entire archdiocese. Uh, do you have a message for those who just entered recently and, uh, or, or a reflection point for them? Well, certainly to say welcome and how much I am with them. I think uh, a good message is to wake up every day and praise God for how good he has been to them and uh, to think about what he has in store for them for all eternity. That is awesome. It was very exciting to hear that number. I don't know, that number sounded really hopeful to me, 800 people entering the church across the archdiocese. And I know so many people worked so hard to make that happen, including Mike Chamberlain. Mike, you were saying you had a little <laughs> bit of a, a task as your first time in charge of OCIA? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. So yeah. that's awesome. Very yeah, good. Yeah, that was great. Well, and another piece of hope is that we continue to work on formation of young men who are considering the priesthood. So at the end of last month, you met twice with men considering the priesthood. First, with a group at a discernment weekend retreat, and a few days later with another group for dinner and prayer. Can you tell us a little bit about those gatherings and what encouragement you offered the men gathered? Well, Mary, there are two really different focuses uh, for those groups. Uh, the discernment uh, weekend is for men who are really far along in their discernment, and they feel that uh, the possibility of uh, uh, a priestly vocation is uh, of such significance that they need at least to come to the seminary, mm -hmm. take some time to think about whether uh, admitting, uh, being admitted to the seminary is the proper next step for them. Right. So it's a, it's a little bit like uh, going on a, a first date to see if you want to keep dating, I guess yeah. that would be the, <laughs> the metaphor. Yep. Whereas the, uh, the, uh, the dinner is uh, where uh, it's an occasion where parish priests have invited likely young men men who are likely candidates who at least ought to think about uh, whether or not the priesthood is uh, their calling. So it's mm -hmm. it's much more general kind of commitment involved. Right. Um, the two points I make with both groups, uh, one, that they need to uh, give God praise and thanks uh, for where they are right now in their own discernment. Uh, there are lots of young men their age who don't take the will of God into account in uh, uh, the matters of deciding their future. And so right. they've already received a great grace wherever they are in their discernment. And they, um, I 
try to join them in giving God praise and thanks for what he's already done. Mm -hmm. And my second basic point with everybody is that uh, for discernment to be authentic, it always needs to begin with giving God a blank check. Um, You can't ask God to show you his will if you've already decided what that's going to have to be. God doesn't barter. (laughs) Right. And uh, so for the d- discernment to be authentic, it needs to be uh, a kind of oblation. Uh-huh. And uh, that too, is that's a great grace. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Paschal Spirit, the spirit of the Passover sacrifice. We're really lucky at um, Divine Child, our priests are really active with the students. And so I know we sent several of the students to the dinner that you had, and they had just such a good time hearing the witness, too, of other seminarians and how they ended up in their walk and journey. I think that was a really important piece for them. Well, I agree. And Mike, uh, you realize uh, what a cheerleader Mary has now become for her new... uh, Uh, her new ministry I think that's yeah. great oh she's really good yeah absolutely <laughs> every episode figuring out some way no but it was cool as they were because Father David and Father Bob at our parish had invited these uh, a considerable amount of men to think about it and I think some of them to have it on their radar was a really special thing and then they enjoyed their oh, time so it's great I'm, I'm happy to be able to teach you Mary but I do think <laughs> it is a very special thing and yes. I'm very proud of yeah. uh how the Holy Spirit works at Divine Child and Amen. so many, all of the parishes in our diocese. Yeah, so good. Well, today's topic I'm excited about, we're going to be discussing the Sacrament of Confirmation. And Mike and I have worked in that ministry for a really long time with the Sacrament of Confirmation. And we find sometimes it's one of the most uh, misunderstood sacraments, I think, for the young church. So I'm excited to have a bit of a conversation about it today. It's one of the sacraments of initiation. And I was wondering if you could start us off by talking a little bit about what happens during confirmation and give kind of an overview of the sacrament. Well, Mary, what happens uh, happens at two levels. There's what we see and uh, what God does through what we see and hear. What we see and hear is uh, the invocation of the Holy Spirit upon the candidates, uh, their anointing, and uh, the proclamation that they're being sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's what we see. What happens mm-hmm. is that... Uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit given them at baptism. They are already in Christ. Uh, the Spirit dwells in them, but comes to them in a new way and in a way that uh, is uh, completes uh, baptism. Uh, my way of thinking about this, of explaining it, and it's in the liturgy itself, is that uh, while in baptism one becomes adopted, in uh, confirmation uh, that uh, one becomes an agent for the Mm. kingdom of God. You become a citizen at baptism, but at uh, confirmation you become an ambassador uh, Mm. for the kingdom of God. Uh, And so it can rightly be called uh, the sacrament of uh, Christian adulthood, Uh but we have to be really careful with that. It doesn't mean the same thing as chronological or physical adulthood, but it's an analogy. Just as in the natural world, uh, a child goes from being a recipient to eventually uh, being uh, a giver, uh, an uh, active and uh, not just a receiver. So this is the grace to be able to do that. And it's, it's given at whatever age 
the Christian is confirmed, whether the Christian is confirmed in infancy or uh, adolescence or uh, even in old age. But it's yeah. always about uh, getting the, be, receiving the Pentecost spirit, uh, the spirit to be able to uh, engage in the same work as the, uh, the Twelve did on Pentecost Sunday. That's beautiful. I like that, what you said about being an agent. I think, you know, from, from, my, from Mary and I's experience, anyway, of doing this for so many years, I know uh, the idea of adulthood is often very, very, very misunderstood. And I think it's, um, I know you said it's an analogy, not that it's a, a wrong analogy, but I think, unfortunately, so many people read it as just merely, I'm, I'm becoming an adult in the church. And it doesn't really move beyond that. That's kind of where it is. But like you said, the, the agent thing is beautiful because they're really um, coming online with... Um, now going forth and spreading and defending the faith uh, outwardly, you know, and most specifically, they do that through those seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, those those seven gifts that uh, more firmly unite us to Christ, of course. But um, Archbishop, I know Mary and I, we always teach this, this certain acronym on how to memorize those seven gifts of the Spirit. Is there something that you specifically use, Archbishop, to memorize and know those seven gifts of the Spirit? I don't need that anymore. <laughs> I learned, yes. I learned, I, we had You're to memorize. that point. <laughs> We had to yeah. memorize it uh, yeah. for confirmation when uh, when I was uh, uh, eleven years old, and I yeah, just okay. still have it. I, yeah, I good. Can, I can kind of chant it in my sleep. Yeah. Oh, that's good. But I have yeah. to start at the beginning. I can't start okay. in the middle. <laughs> okay. Yes. It's not. Do you want to, you want to tell us those seven gifts and uh, maybe, wisdom, maybe... understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord? Look at go. that! Like an expert archbishop, just being able to name those. Mike from would the eleven-year-old, to... from yes. the eleven-year-old mouth of Archbishop Vigneron. There you go. So. That's awesome. <laughs> Mike would tell our students wolf pack, and then they would remember them. Not in that order, though. Um, wisdom, understanding, fortitude piety, awe and wonder, or fear the Lord, counsel and knowledge. So that's how we would tell the students oh, to remember I it. couldn't begin to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's funny. That is funny. We are creatures of habit for sure. Yeah, yeah. Archbishop, is there a specific gift of the Spirit that you found you kind of just really personally connected with over, you know, your years as a, as a, as a, as first of all, obviously a priest and then a bishop? Is there a certain gift that you regularly connect with and, and find yourself praying for an increase of in yourself, uh, tapping into that, that, that gift and grace of confirmation? Well, um, it depends on the circumstance I'm in, because mm. if, uh, if and I, it is the case, mm. that I have a responsibility to extend the kingdom of God beyond myself and into my sphere of life and activity, I need different gifts uh, uh, at different times. And mm. so I depend, uh, sometimes I need wisdom. Uh, sometimes I need understanding. I'd like, under, uh, understanding, I, I think, is different from wisdom. Understanding, mm. I think, has uh, my way of translating that Greek word would be to be quick-witted, to <laughs> be able to read the situation. So I yeah. certainly need that when I look at the world I'm supposed to act in. But I suppose mm. the one I most feel the need for is courage or fortitude. Yeah. yeah. I need to, I'm not a very brave person. I need to ask the Holy Spirit to give me bravery. Mm. Like a supernatural one, yeah. 
Well, the Catechism of the Catholic Church opens its section on confirmation by emphasizing that the reception of the Sacrament of Confirmation is necessary for the completion of baptismal grace, which we've kind of been talking about. Similarly, Pope Francis has said that those who receive baptism but not confirmation remain at a midpoint in their journey and do not receive the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? And can we talk a little bit about how confirmation um, can change a person's relationship with God and maybe even the church? Well, I, I think uh, Pope Francis is not saying that the <laughs> yeah. baptized and, not, and unconfirmed do not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Right. But what they don't have is this gift that enables them to be active agents mm -hmm. for spreading the kingdom of God. And if we don't engage in that, if we, if we are not active missionary disciples, uh, we haven't uh, come to the fullness of what it means to be a disciple. Right. Uh, we're still, in that sense, like uh, uh, babies. Uh, mm -hmm. And all babies do is receive. Uh, people don't send their babies out to, uh, uh, to, to do chores and engage in work. <laughs> they, yep. They're just yep. cared for. They don't care. Right. Right. And uh, that's the point. Uh, we receive the Holy Spirit in so far, uh, for the sake of being uh, his instruments to advance uh, the kingdom of Christ. And so it does change our relationship. It changes us from being merely recipients uh, to also being active. Mm -hmm. And where do we spread the kingdom? We spread the kingdom in the context of where we live. Is it in my family? Is it in the place I work? Is it in Southeast Michigan? Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is given to me so that uh, I can be uh, shaping my part of the world uh, into the image and likeness of Christ. Uh, mm -hmm. My way to talk about this is to think about the epiclesis, uh, the calling down of the Holy Spirit upon the bread and wine at the altar. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the priest calls down the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit changes that ordinary stuff into the offering of Christ. Mm -hmm. And that confirmation, there's an epiclesis, a calling down of the Holy Spirit upon the candidate. And the candidate is changed. And then it's the candidate's responsibility to be a kind of epiclesis, an instrument to call down the Holy Spirit uh, upon his wife, upon the children, uh, upon wherever they, they are, whatever sure. situation they're in, and make it configured, be an instrument by which the Holy Spirit configures it uh, mm -hmm. to the likeness of Jesus the Son. That's beautiful, and I love what, I'm, what, what you're saying, Archbishop, is really this active, uh, not a passive kind of spectator sport uh, idea of the faith, but really more an active one, getting off the bench, getting involved, and uh, all, all things that I know you've obviously invited us very much to do with uh, through Synod 16 and, you know, Unleash the Gospel, the document which yeah, flowed from that and about. stuff afterward. Um, yep. You know, I know specifically confirmation, uh, there's so much depth there uh, that I think just people don't realize. I really do think it is somewhat of the lost sacrament out of the seven, uh, Personally, I guess I feel that way. But um, can you speak a little bit into the, some of the biblical basis um, for confirmation, Archbishop, and, and where we see that in, in the life uh, and activity of the apostles and the early church? Let's start with, simply with the, the symbolisms itself. Uh, these are uh, rituals that uh, 
we have from the very economy of, Christ, uh, of God's work with his holy people, uh, the, invo uh, the imposition of hands to call down the Holy Spirit, uh, anointing as a sign of the, the giving of the Holy Spirit, uh, what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in creating health and well-being, uh, setting uh, uh, one apart, consecration. And so then uh, in the New Testament, we have the apostles themselves uh, going to the baptized who had not received the Holy Spirit to confirm the Holy Spirit through an imposition of hands. And so uh, the, the apostles used what we might call the ritual language they had inherited uh, from the first covenant hmm. uh, to uh, live out th this mystery of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there is an imposition of hands both uh, in a prayer over the, uh, the candidates and the anointing uh, itself is a kind of imposition of hands uh, at least minimally through the imposition of the thumb on the forehead of the uh, of the uh, the candidate. This, of course, mm -hmm. how it takes place in uh, the Roman rite in the the Latin Church. Those of us who uh, have our ritual heritage from Rome, it's a little different in the Eastern churches, the Byzantine Church, the Chaldean Church, uh, mm -hmm. the Syriac Church. They have a more extensive anointing, but it is always. Uh, this uh, uh, calling down the Holy Spirit and uh, especially sh uh, the originary uh, uh, instrument, uh, minister of confirmation was the bishop because the bishops has, al has always been the bishop because a bishop is the successor of the apostles. The apostles were infected with the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. at Pentecost. Uh, they share the spirit with uh, their successors, and it belongs to their successors, to us bishops, to share the Holy Spirit with the people. Hmm. Um, now, in certain circumstances today, uh, bishops uh, share with their priests this uh, delegation to celebrate the sacrament of confirmation. It's uh, the ordinary way confirmation or chrismation is done in the Eastern churches. Uh, we do it this way at the Easter Vigil, for example. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the Latin Church, uh, the church, the, the ritual tradition most of us Catholics in Michigan follow, um, it falls to the bishop to be the uh, regular celebrant of uh, confirmation as a sign that uh, it's an action of uh, the whole church, and uh, it makes clear that... Uh, the candidate to, who's being confirmed is being given this mission within the local church that uh, goes all the way back to the apostles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always, I thought the beautiful aspect to it is that, that idea of hierarchy and, and the church and how it functions. And, you know, if, if Christ was there with his apostles, the apostles pass it on and pass it on and pass it on down to this very day and age. Uh, those being confirmed, it's, it's being handed to them directly from Christ through the apostles' hands through many centuries. You know, such a beautiful thing. And I know you just obviously spoke about the the uh, nature of the laying on of hands. Uh, can you speak a little bit into the, the idea of the use of holy oils, specifically with confirmation, and, and what oils are used during confirmation, and where that kind of finds its place in, in our tradition? 
the use of uh, oil for consecration is certainly very much uh, uh, visible in the Old Testament. Uh, it, uh, you, you, uh, priests and kings were anointed as a, a sign and, and a means for them to receive the Holy Spirit for the sake of their mission and ministry. And so uh, it becomes part of our heritage in the New Covenant. Uh, the law is uh, fulfilled, not abrogated. And so uh, we use uh, holy oil as, as a way to uh, uh, communicate, uh, to bring about uh, in confirmation this sharing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's also used, for example, in uh, the ordination of bishops and priests uh, as a, a further sign the Holy Spirit is communicated through the imposition of hands and the consecration prayer, but holy oil is used as a sign to uh, underscore the gift of the Holy Spirit given to uh, priests and bishops. So, uh, and the particular oil that we're talking about is the sacred chrism, the most sacred of the three holy oils. Hmm. But oil, blessed oil is also used for the catechumens uh, in their preparation for uh, con for baptism and confirmation as a sign of uh, the Holy Spirit strengthening them uh, for the struggles that they will inevitably face in order to be faithful to their uh, commitment to be baptized. And sure. holy oil, the oil of the sick is used in the anointing of the sick as a, a sign of the Holy Spirit and an instrument of giving the Holy Spirit to strengthen uh, the sick in order to live through what is for most people the most difficult mission in the church, which is to bear their suffering uh, uh, with a, a trusting witness in God. Uh, so because we understand that sickness itself is a call uh, to witness and to uh, show Christ to the world by the way we live our sickness. Hmm. On another note, typically in the Archdiocese of Detroit, a person is baptized as an infant, but doesn't receive confirmation until junior high, seventh or eighth grade is sometimes like the norm of what we've seen. In the Eastern Rites, confirmation occurs immediately following baptism in infancy. How did these two traditions develop? And I think you know the answer to this, but is one better than the other? No, one is not better than the other. Uh, uh, e I knew you each, were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> each, each one has its own truth and its mm -hmm. own uh, uh, profile of uh, what's involved in the mystery. But it, uh, in the beginning of the very earliest years of the church's life, uh, the bishop was always involved in uh, the initiation, the baptism, the chrismating confirmation, and the uh, First Holy Communion of, the, uh, of uh, those coming into the church. With the development, over time, the church grew to such an extent that it was not possible for the bishop to be engaged in all of that. And so for the whole church, uh, priests typically became the ordinary ministers of baptism. In, uh, the Latin church, uh, we also permit deacons to solemnly baptize. But I believe in the Eastern churches, that's not the case. I think you have okay. to be a, a priest to baptize. 
Okay. But uh, so uh, the bishop uh, was uh, given to, gave his vicars the responsibility of baptizing just for the sake of need. Mm -hmm. In the Latin Church, the West, the bishops kept uh, the, conf the confirming to themselves as a way to show that they were involved in this very important dimension. But in the Eastern churches, uh, it, this delegation also went to the priests. Now, today, uh, we in the, the West, the Latin Church, have, are more accustomed to for the bishop even to delegate confirmation to our priests. And that's what we see going on in the OCIA at the Easter Vigil. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There's some discussion I've heard even amongst my friend circles um, about the restored order of the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and then the first Eucharist. Why is this called the restored order? And at what age should people receive confirmation in first communion if this happens or would happen? Well, it's the restored order because it is the order from the beginning. This was uh -huh. the ordinary way uh, for adults uh, to enter the church. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, we're talking about before the church began to grow. It, right. This was typically how, how it happened. And it's the one that and makes the most sense by the very... Uh, uh, nature of these sacraments, this is the order that's appropriate. However, uh, the church in their wisdom has said that the order can be inverted and you can have First Holy Communion before confirmation. And there are a lot of pastoral reasons for doing that. Uh, some bishops have, uh, in the Latin church, some dioceses in the United States, have gone to the order of having confirmation before First Holy Communion. Uh -huh. uh, I think that that is pastorally problematic. Uh, huh. We've studied it here in the Archdiocese. I think it's uh, very difficult for a small child, uh, for a, an elementary school child, uh, to be able to uh, make first penance, uh, First uh, confirmation and then first Holy Communion, uh, all within such a short span of time. Huh. Uh, so I, I don't favor uh, re going back, going to the restored order for okay. uh, primary school children. Yeah, that's so interesting, Mike. When did you receive your first, con or when did you receive confirmation? Your first confirmation, your my only first, my, confirmation, my only confirmation. Uh, when, did, yeah. <laughs> when did you I, receive uh, confirmation? Yeah, so my uh, I grew up uh, on the East Coast in a small diocese in Connecticut, and uh, at the time when I was, I think they still hold at the same time, but uh, it's the end of my sophomore year of high school, so I was uh, 16, I believe, when I received confirmation, so a little bit older than I know. Uh, you know, like as we said, some different dioceses have chosen adolescence, but then even even then, there's kind of a, a span of time which, you know, obviously contains adolescence, and different dioceses have different ages. So, And then, right. you, Mary, you received younger, isn't that right? I did, yeah. I received uh, confirmation in third grade, but hmm. I had already received first communion and reconciliation. So I received so it at. You weren't restored order, no, technically, mm -mm. but yeah. But younger than what a lot of people in the Archdiocese of Detroit um, right. have done. Um, Archbishop Vigneron, do you, do you have like a, an age that you think is like the preferred age? Would you say it's the eighth, ninth grade time frame for kids to receive confirmation? I'm really ready to leave that up to the parish priest. Uh, yeah, I've, yeah. Uh, 
have some of the the priests who tell me that they think uh, uh, early junior high is the right age, that you children are more open, young people are more open hmm. huh. uh, to the experience of confirmation, the catechesis, uh, say, uh, at a, before they get to be 13. Right, uh, right. And mm-hmm. so we give a, a good bit of discretion to priests to, to read the situation. They need uh, understanding the gift of the Holy Spirit to read yeah. the situation yes. and see, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. see what's best. <laughs> so there's diversity even within the Archdiocese of Detroit, what individual pastors choose. Is that correct? There is correct? a range. There okay. is a range. Okay. But it, it's a, a set range. It's not yeah. uh, completely open-ended. Interesting. Hmm. And we mentioned this, but there is a significant amount of adult Catholics who've received baptism and first confirmation, but have not been, or first communion, but have not been confirmed. Considering the link between baptism and confirmation, what encouragement would you give any adult listeners who have not been confirmed? Why should they pursue this? How can an adult pursue this process? Why? Uh, because it's about coming into their full inheritance as uh, disciples of Jesus and members of the church, uh, uh, because they, they are being called upon uh, to uh, be agents of the kingdom of God wherever right. they live and whatever they do. And it's, it's not fair to ask somebody to take up this mission if they don't have the equipment for the mission. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and one of the most important ways to live the mission is uh, building a Catholic home, a domestic church. And uh, to build, this falls to them inevitably to build up the domestic church. Yeah. And they need the Holy Spirit in order to succeed in that. That is one of the most important missions for a disciple of Christ, is to be an evangelist in the domestic church. They Mm -hmm. owe it, a man owes it to his wife, a a woman owes it to her husband, and they all owe it to their children to be confirmed because that's their responsibility. Yep. And what to do? Uh, Talk to the parish priest. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a lot of avenues by which uh, the unconfirmed can be confirmed. Uh, don't remember the norms for the Easter Vigil, but I think that's one po- one road that's possible. Mm-hmm. And another, then uh, I confirm at the cathedral uh, in two in solemn ceremonies twice a year on Pentecost and on the Feast of Christ the King. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's even certainly possible for adults to join uh, the uh, uh, the junior high. Uh, candidates at their confirmation as well. Mm -hmm. Any advice for those that are currently in preparation for confirmation? I'm thinking most specifically the, um, the adolescents, those right now that are, you know, we're kind of coming into confirmation season, if you will. Um, and I know you as bishops are going to be busy making your rounds throughout the archdiocese going and, and doing confirmations at local parishes. Uh, do you have any kind of last minute, uh, or last season advice for, for any of those junior high students? At whatever age, the, Holy Spirit is given in confirmation, he acts in a way that's appropriate to the life of uh, the one whom he seals. Mm -hmm. So uh, if he seals somebody at the age of two months, the grace is received in that way. If he seals somebody at the age of 45, uh, 
the seal is given in that way. So if he seals somebody who's in junior high, early adolescence, the seal comes uh, and it works its way in the life history of the individual at that point. So particularly to those uh, disciples, I would say, uh, invite the Holy Spirit to come upon you to show you the path to the future. Uh, my experience in confirming uh, people in the seventh, eighth, or ninth grade is that they're very much thinking about their future. And so these gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, clearly apply to that kind of thinking and that kind of decision-making uh, to ask themselves, where am I being called to be a, to be a missionary? If you're confirmed at the, uh, a married man, say, confirmed at the age of uh, 50, uh, he, he already knows where he's, his field of missionary activity is. Mm -hmm. But for a, a teenager, she doesn't know. He doesn't know where that field is. So mm. part of the confirmation prayer can be, Holy Spirit, give me the wisdom, the uh, maybe the fortitude especially, the courage mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to know where you're sending me in order to uh, change the world of uh, sin into the new creation uh, that glorifies God. Where's my mission? I think that might, and what do I, and give me what I need for my mission. Hmm. Uh, I don't, that, that's really important, I think. One last question. One thing that we have wrestled with, Mike and I personally in youth ministry, and I know a lot of other people do around the Archdiocese of Detroit, is sometimes confirmation is kind of treated as a graduation from religious education. So like the completion point. People in youth ministry uh, can attest to this phenomenon for sure. How can parents and catechists reframe this and look at it as kind of a start of your relationship and disciple, um, as a disciple of Christ? Well, to proclaim it as such, I think mm -hmm. uh, to uh, if you if one is going to move, uh, use the language of uh, completion of initiation uh, to be clear that it it's not graduation, it's commissioning. I mean, I think there's some mm. uh, the actually the the Roman liturgy because of our her the Roman heritage of uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, militarism even sometimes uses military language. It's not graduation, it's commissioning as, uh -huh. uh, mm. as an officer, uh, yeah. as a, an agent in advancing the kingdom. Now the kingdom advances not by force of arms, but uh -huh. by the power of grace. Maybe the point is uh, to make a part of the preparation uh, a game plan. Mm. Uh, uh, what's for the candidate, uh, what's your plan going forward in this campaign uh, to uh, advance the kingdom of Christ? Oh, I like that. I, I could see that being such a powerful piece of the preparation, right? Is having kids do that. What is your game plan? What are you called into? What is this going to look like for you after? I'm not sure if that's always a part of our programming, and it, it needs to be. Archbishop, was there anything else you'd like to add to this topic of confirmation before we uh, kind of move on to some questions? Um, no, I, I think we pretty much covered it. 
Okay. Good that, job. It was fine. a lot of information. I think you did a good job uh, <laughs> opening it up. You know, it's it's so good. So thank you for uh, sharing with us. Just just one last thing. Uh, we were. T- I was remember being told this one time when I was on a visit. Uh, the usual uh, uh, five year visits to the the Vatican and mm. the prefect of the Congregation for Divine Worship said to us very pointedly, "No Catholic should die." without being confirmed. And so even hmm. if a if a baby is baptized by uh, is baptized in an emergency situation that baby should be confirmed. Huh. Everybody should be confirmed. Huh. Wow. That's a great point. I never had heard anything like that before. If if you had a, a baby in danger of death, perhaps the right. nurse might baptize the baby, but yep. the next right step is to get the priest to come and confirm the baby. Excellent. All right. Well, we are excited to welcome back our listener question section. Now we're going to feature questions from students from area Catholic schools in the Archdiocese of Detroit. So our first question comes from Annalise from St. Augustine Catholic School in Richmond. Annalise says, when you put your hands on us for confirmation, how do we know when the Holy Spirit comes upon us? How do we know which gift of the Holy Spirit we receive? Well, how do you know? Really, the only way we know is by faith. Uh, Sometimes people do have a certain intense feeling when they receive sacraments. Other times we don't, uh, but we can be confident that Christ is always at work when the sacraments are celebrated. So uh, how do you know? You have to trust. It's part of our our faith in the work that that Christ is with his church. Which gifts do you receive? All of them. All of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I would point out again uh, to Annalise that she's going to receive them in the mode of uh, where she is at a particular moment. So uh, they will build on her strengths and make up for her deficiencies. Uh, Everybody gets the same gifts. But no two people, no two Christians get them in the, in the same way. I think that's very important. And if I could kind of build on her question, yeah. uh, one of the things I think about when I impose hands and when I anoint is I wonder what fruit this gift is going to bear. And I will probably not know that until mm-hmm. the end of the world, uh, at the last day when the book of life is read out and say for, you know, if I were the one to confirm Annalise, uh, when her name is called and God says to her, well done, good and faithful servant, uh, this is what you were able to accomplish because the Archbishop confirmed you and, and I'll be real proud at that moment. That's a really cool thought to reflect with, so yeah. Archbishop, I know uh, Charlie from Austin Catholic High School in Chesterfield asks this question. Many people look up to you as the Archbishop. Who do you look up to? Who inspires you? St. John Paul II especially Mm. is an inspiration to me. I think uh, he was such an astute uh, shepherd, read the signs of the times, Mm. uh, knew very well Mm. how to respond and support the people uh, uh, with his uh, insight about the new evangelization. Another inspiration to me is Father Gabriel Richard, who was a great pastor of St. Anne Parish 
here in uh, Detroit at the beginning of the, uh, the 19th century. Uh, he inspires me because uh, of his zeal. He didn't have many resources, mm -hmm. but he came to the frontier and he, he, he worked himself to death to mm -hmm. serve the people. Hmm. And the other, there's a group of people that uh, continue to inspire me, and those are the Sisters of St. Joseph who were my teachers at hmm. the Immaculate Conception in Anchorville when I was a boy. Well, that is a great lead into our final question from Jonathan at Cardinal Moody Catholic High School in Marine City. Jonathan asks, how did growing up with a Catholic education shape and form the person you are today? Well, certainly, I received a, a, a very s profound and solid religious formation, uh, great catechesis in the parish grade school. But also, uh, one of the things uh, that was just communicated in the very way we did our education is that religion and life are not compartments, but they belong together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, uh, that's a very important uh, uh, part of... Uh, what education is about. An education that doesn't have a religious dimension is not really a, a full education. You're only right. doing part of, of what it means to be formed in, yeah. uh, in wisdom and truth. Well, Archbishop, thank you so much again for, for the whole podcast, and especially for answering some of those great questions from our students. I wanted to ask if you had any specific prayer intentions uh, yourself that we can keep in mind this next month as we move forward. Let's pray uh, for the, uh, the uh, five men who are going to be ordained priests for the Archdiocese on the mm -hmm. Vigil of Pentecost, to hold mm -hmm. them in prayer. Uh, just this morning, uh, uh, these days, I should say, just these days, their uh, appointments have come out. So pray for them, and I'd say pray for all of the priests of the diocese and the deacons who have new assignments. There's a great, mm -hmm. there's a stress in change, and so mm. let, let's pray that uh, those moving to new assignments uh, will find joy in the new challenges that come to them on the mission. Yes. Very good, for sure. We'll keep that in mind, Archbishop. Thank you for that. And uh, Archbishop, if you wouldn't mind, if you please close us with a prayer and blessing. Let's place all of our intentions in the care of the Blessed Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Archbishop. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Beyond Sundays, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.